Welcome to another Sunday Session podcast. It's week one of the finals. My name's Chris Kennedy. I'm joined by Craig Wing and Kenny Scott. If I sound a tiny bit tinny, it's because I'm dialing in from Banquet Stadium where I've just seen uh, the fourth finals match of the round, the Eels obliterating the Broncos. Uh, gentlemen, thanks again for being here. What do you think of the weekend? Some very good games and some uh, very surprising games as well. Yeah, um, I loved every minute of it. Um, I find it interesting that you say that you might sound a bit tinny because you're far away at Bankwest. I think you sound a bit tinny because you're on the celebration tinnies, my friend. (laughs) We all know you're a Parramatta fan. Before we get started, (laughs) tell us about the atmosphere out there. It was as good as I've seen it. It was as good as the uh, the Easter Monday against the the West Tigers, the grand opening um, to... I guess similar games, but a lot more on the line this time. The, the crowd, extremely one-sided. There are a few Brisbane jerseys sprinkled around, but um, the, we're in the open-air media box, so you kind of get the sound and the atmosphere flowing into the, the press box while you're there. And we're the, we sort of line up about the 30-metre line from that corner that Mike Sivo was walking back towards in the second half where that Sivo Sivo <laughs> chant went up from the crowd. So, um, yeah, definitely a lot of Blue and Gold fans bringing a lot of atmosphere to, uh, to Banquest Stadium this afternoon. Yeah, we were talking about it um, before we started the pod about that that Sivo chant. Just through the TV, it sounded it sounded magical. I can't imagine uh, what it would have been like. One, like as a fan being there, but for the players, especially for Sivo himself, imagine that a whole stadium with uh, stadium of people chanting your name and a whole mm. village back in Fiji. Yeah, yeah well, exactly. <laughs> I was stuff, here last week for the the Manly game when he scored his hat trick, and the Sivo chant was going up. You could tell he was sort of a bit emotional, but trying not to sort of had a job to do, so he wasn't trying to let it get to him too much. And he came over to that corner of the ground after full time and sort of kneeled down and, and sort of showed his respect towards the crowd. So um, there's a lot of mutual love going on between the um, the Bankwest crowd and Mike Acevo at the moment. And what about the start of the game? I felt like the start of the game actually, it was it was quite physical, very physical early yeah. on from both teams. Uh, yeah. Despite the score, the Brisbane Broncos seemed to go with them for about five minutes. Yeah, <laughs> or ten minutes. But um, yeah, it was it was a very very physical start to the game. I thought it was uh, it was uh, it was very impressive. It was certainly better than the start of the the Cronulla game. Um, yeah, but Broncos, eh? They just can't get to their fifth tackle kicks. Yeah, it was, um, I mean, it's one of those games where you say, was it the Eels being great or the Broncos being terrible? And I think it was a lot of both, to be fair. Um, like you said, physical at the start. I actually thought, um, you know, the first two Parramatta tries took a fair while to come and Brisbane was sort of producing some, you know, the defence overall wasn't great, but some really good scramble efforts, some last-ditch efforts. You know, Payne Haas came across in cover to, to mow down a, a runaway Wonga Blake from behind. There was some, you know, some big defensive efforts like that. But um, obviously, the you know, the dam broke eventually but I mean from Brisbane's point of view you know by half time and certainly the, the second half they were just getting absolutely strolled through up the middle just yawning gaps in the defence and then the times they did get to attack they'd produce an error they'd come up with a terrible kick they were just asking zero questions of um, of Parramatta when they when they did have the ball they hardly had a, a play the ball in the Eels half in the, the first half and it didn't get a lot better in the second Yeah I felt the, ga- uh, the Penrith uh, Parramatta game plan really uh, really pulled the Broncos apart. I mean, we spoke last week how the Broncos are really led by their forward pack and mm. for the Eels to do any good, they would have to match up in the forwards, but then the Eels would have the upper hand with their backs and that's exactly what happened. I think yep. the ball movement that the that the Eels showed, for one, it was very, very slick, but also it just 
it just ran the uh, it actually took the the Broncos forwards out of the game. Um, as you said before, they were making break, breaks down the side and then they were just coming through the middle at will. So it was a very, very well-executed plan. I thought the, um, like, it's pretty obvious, right, but Mitch Moses had, an, like, a blinder of a game. That, the try, he's, mm. I think, what, well, his, his, he sort of scored a couple of tries, I think, but the, his first one where he out of nowhere grubbed for himself um, and then, you know, came up with a, with a great try. But also his passing game as well. The, the mm. long passes in this game were... Like there was so many of them, and I, I love a long pass because it set, it usually long pass usually leads to something special and exciting, and it did almost every time in this game. But um, yeah, Parramatta, wow. Yeah, that was the big difference between the two teams. I think the halves, definitely the halves. Um, yeah. Mitch Moses and um, and his young young five eighth partner there. They just their ball movement was very very silky. They really read the the defence very well, although. They were, playing fast, they were playing slow, putting the ball into space and just getting the ball to where it needed to be. And uh, really, the Broncos had no answer at all. But in saying you that... Talk, go on. I was going to say, you talk about the long passing, where the media box is situated. It's basically on the 30-metre line to the end that the Eels were attacking in the first half. And because the ground's so steep, you're sort of right over the top of it. And you see so many of these long passes, and, and even the short ones, they're, they're really fast and they're really flat, and they bring the runners onto the ball. That No one's having to reach behind themselves to grab the ball. So you're sort of accelerating the whole time through your passing. And the, the two magical ones for me... Um, led to the, they were towards the back end of the half, the Sean Lane try and the eventual Mike Acevo try right on half time where they, the Eels came right and Moses fired a long pass back to the left, cut out a number of players and completely switched up the play and caught the Broncos short on their right edge defence having already shifted left and just created a lot of space for um, for that left edge of Sean Lane, Michael Jennings and Mike Acevo and it just paid huge dividends. Yeah, I, I thought that was, um, well definitely very, very high skill there but uh, I was surprised that the Broncos didn't try to to take advantage of that because those long balls is a lot of ball, a lot of time in the air. Um, it'll be very interesting to see what they go at the the Melbourne Storm with next week because I I've, I'd, I'd anticipate the the Storm to keep moving up in defence and then uh, really uh, surrounding those players that get the ball and slow the play the ball down. I'll be really interested to see the crowd split for next week because mm. um, obviously this game was just a, a shrine to Parramatta fandom, which is fantastic. Um, but how many are going to be able to make the trip down? I, it'll probably be a sellout, which is, which is cool. Um, but it'll just be really cool to see what the, the, what the percentage split is between Melbourne and, and Eels fans. Yeah, I think, you'll get, I think you'll get heaps of Parramatta supporters. There's, there's would... going to be heaps of Parramatta fans in Melbourne as well, not yeah. just ones that would travel. Mm. True. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But um, they're really on a high at the moment. And I guess... Everyone prior to this week would probably just be taking it as a given that Melbourne will win next week. But you've got to remember that was a bashathon between, which we'll get onto later, between uh, Canberra and Melbourne. So they'll be, and they've come away with nothing. So they've got some, mm. they'll be battered and bruised. Uh, the Parramatta Eels effectively had a training run today. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but in saying that, they defended very, very ferociously. Um, they kept them to nil. They executed their game plan very, very well, and they're going to be full of confidence. So I really think that next week is is going to be a very, very even battle down there. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Obviously, the Storm got them 64-10 um, back up in uh, Suncorp at Magic Round in Round 9, which was the, the biggest margin of the year until uh, this Brisbane game. But um, Parramatta, a different 
side now, you would think, to the one back then. They, uh, Melbourne will have had one extra day's turnaround, but as you say, they uh, they certainly got bashed against the Raiders, whereas the Eels, you know, they had all the ball, so it won't be as anywhere near as sapping for them. Although, I guess, a question over whether you know such a blowout game can can prepare them well for the grind they're going to need uh, against the Storm. Yeah, you're exactly right. That's a, that's going to be a completely different style of game. They're not going to have as many opportunities as they had today. But in saying that, their execution was on point, um, but they had mm. all of the momentum throughout pretty much the whole game. There was a little period just after half time there where the Broncos started to throw the ball around and started to, to make some inroads with their attack, but then they... Uh, then they just made a mistake and but the, I mean the game was it. was basically over at that at that at that time anyway, which is why they started chucking around. I guess they were they were never going to call that game back. No, mm. no, never. No, correct. I mean it's probably a long summer of soul searching and, and question asking for for Brisbane ahead. I, now. I thought the um there was a close up of Anthony Seabold like in the last thirty seconds of the game that I just thought like summed it up so well. Um the two mm. the two assistant like Seabold was just stone faced. Obviously, having you know the thought process of like, like how am I going to deal with the aftermath of this? And his two assistants were there, like muttering swear words under their breath. Like, quite obviously, yeah. it was, yeah, tense times. Yeah, I, I went to the uh, press conferences after the game, you know, before doing the, the podcast. And um, Seabold was fairly forthright. He used the word embarrassed and, and embarrassing mm. a, a number of times. But I mean, the the upshot really was that there was just no answers. That you know he. He didn't see it coming. He wasn't prepared for that sort of performance or result. He's not sure what the answer is. And it's, you know, there's, there's probably got to be some changes up at uh, Red Hill. I'll tell you what the answer is. They need at least one half. At the moment, they have none. Yeah. You can't, well, I mean, they've, you can't you know, win they've, with no halves. That's or a no, big problem. Or no kickers either. Yeah. Sean O'Sullivan and, and Tom Dearden both out injured doesn't help them. Although, you know, pair of teenagers, you know, you can't expect them to haul the entire club out of the, the doldrums but it's um, like you say it's a start you do need a, a proper half back at the moment there's a, a makeshift hooker and a makeshift fullback in the halves with um, with Anthony Milford doing most of the kicking from fullback which doesn't look all that sustainable yeah and the biggest problem was uh, Parramatta got their momentum and there was no one to control the pace of the game on behalf of the Broncos and that's what a half effectively does gets his team in the right position on the field, puts the ball out, settles everybody down, uh, but there was no one able to do any of that. Yeah, which has been a problem for them probably for a fair bit of this year. Um, anyway, it does set up a tantalising clash uh, in Melbourne next Saturday. Let's move on. Um, we're going to go, as always, back to the round chronologically, and that includes the NRLW games. And the, um, the double header out at Bankwest this afternoon was the, um, the Brisbane women up against the, uh, the Dragons team. Um, Dragons heavily fancied. They've bought well. It's a star-studded side. Brisbane have lost a lot of their stars, um, but Brisbane, like they did last year, just came out firing from the get-go. Yeah, I think there's um uh, there was a lot of talk around St George uh, St George Illawarra f- for this season for NRLW two. Are we calling them NRL? Is it are we calling it NRLW two? Um, well, why not? Let's why not? It. Let's do it for this pod anyway. Um, so for NRLW two, there's a lot of uh, a lot of expectation, and I think a place on St George Illawarra. I think by themselves because they've had quite a bit of hype. Like you said, they've bought really well. Um, you know, they kept saying they're ready for this season, um, and I thought they came out pretty. Um, uh, with a lot of energy, but Brisbane really just sort of ground away at that game. Like the the tries that they scored um, were from pretty close range and just sort of just sort of barging on through. Um, mm. um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, Brisbane are the premiers, so you'd expect them to do quite well when the when the season kicks off. 
Yeah, I mean, it sort of reminds me of last year. The, you know, the Roosters had the star-studded team, but even though they had all the expensive pieces, they didn't quite fit together as well as they could have. And um, Dragons have started off in similar fashion, whereas um, you know Brisbane just keep on keeping on. Yeah, I mean, it, it could have been a different scoreline. I think St George had at least two tries that were disallowed, and I'm not saying they they should not have been disallowed, but St George definitely did get yeah. over the line a couple of times. There they has both been for those bubbles as well. Yeah, like yeah, exactly. Where sort of the winger the... or the centre grabs the ball, but it bubbles into the opposition before they reclaim it and ground it, and uh, under the current rules it's a it's a clear no try but yep. it's something that Gray Manersley has talked about potentially getting rid of you know looking at those so closely and if the the player comes down with it don't worry about the bobble and, and award the try which is it doesn't help um, the Dragons today but it's, yeah. it's potentially one for down the track there was um there was one moment in this game that I think is uh, uh, the first um, entry into hit of the year for the for the, for the NRLW2 with mm. um Shakaya Tungai hit on Amy Turner um, I think it was just into the second half, so that's um, St George tackling uh, Brisbane on the on the uh, with Brisbane on the attack. It was just a massive hit um, and, mm. and try saver as well. It was it was it was a bell ring. It was classic. Yeah, was some uh, some big moments as always. It's uh, and with the reduced competition, every result is important. So a big head start for Brisbane, and all of a sudden, plenty of work to do for St George Illawarra um, when they roll out next weekend. Uh, heading back into Saturday football, and it finished up at Lotto Land. Um, not too many people gave Manly too much of a chance in this one. Obviously, um, you know, Sharks have got a horror record at, at it, um, on the northern beaches, and that ended up continuing despite Manly being badly under strength. Yeah, absolutely. I was one of the ones that wrote Manly off last week. Uh, I thought, given the number of injuries that they had and the, and the big loss that they had the week before, uh, I, I, I couldn't see them getting up, but mm. boy, did they prove me absolutely wrong. But also Cronulla. Yeah. I thought Cronulla, the, finally, that they had had a bit of mojo going and um, they proved to pro- <laughs> prove me well, very wrong. They also wrong proved you well. wrong, yeah. <laughs> um, Cronulla just weren't in the game. The game started off, uh, well, it was a noticeable change in intensity from the game before. Um, mm. And uh, I thought Manly got off to a flying, stru- flying start. Cronulla seemed to be just trying to work on the physicality side of things without the execution. Um, mm. I noticed that they were falling off a number of tackles early. They were trying to do big hits, but it just wasn't effective. And then, um, yeah, they were just... I thought Manly were looking composed as well in their defence and, 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 and very aggressive. So they got off to a good start and just uh, carried on with it. Yeah, I thought Manly played played the occasion perfectly. Um, everybody, you, me, CK, everyone, every fan you know in the in the rugby league world had written Manly off completely a couple of weeks ago. Um, I think I specifically said last week the band aids are now coming, uh, are like uh, are starting to fall off. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just, it's like they, I mean, Des has done it all before, I suppose. He's he's the master of um of, of getting players ready. Um, and it was just, I don't know if ambush is the right word. Can you ambush somebody at your own home ground? But they just came out and and flattened them completely, like 18 nil. Mm. Um, like, didn't have an answer after that. Oh, I got the, the two people that really stood out for me was uh, Fanua Blake. Oh, he was effectively he dominated yep. the the Sharks forward pack on his own and carried the uh, carried the Manly forward pack on his back. And then Daly Cherry Evans just putting the ball where it needed to be. He really mm. controlled the pace and the tempo of the game and the way that he had his back rowers just hitting those channels. Uh, the Sharks just really had no answer for it. 
Yeah, they've had some uh, plenty of blokes step up. Obviously, both their their back rowers, Curtis Sirin and Joel Thompson, out injured. Jack Kajewski's gone well when he's got a chance on the edge. Uh, young Moses Suley, who um, you know had a couple of hiccups at the start of his career at different clubs, he's been a real force out wide for them in the centres as well. He, he had easily the, the best game of his career. Yeah, um, and, yeah and it's it. I mean, yeah, it's been said over the weekend, but about a year ago, you'd think he'd be out the back door, you know, um, driving forklift somewhere, wondering what could have been. Um, and all of a sudden, he's just had this this fantastic year, and every game he's gotten better. And then, um, yeah, he was explosive on Saturday night. I thought uh, I thought Dylan Walker had a good a good game too. Yeah, he was very yep, good. In, he did very good in attack, and just provided that extra dimension for Daly Cherry Evans. Uh, Brendan Elliott was good. Brad Parker was good in defence. Um, just those guys that have been there all year, the ones that we haven't really thought of as first graders early in the year, have mm. really, really come into their own under Desi Hasler. When they do get uh, Marty to power back from his one-game ban next week when they uh, face off against South, I believe that one's Friday night at ANZ Stadium. So um should be a bell ringer. I don't think South can afford to take this one lightly at all. <laughs> no, not at all. And... Uh... They'll be licking their wounds after that game against the Roosters. But in saying that, the second half was a, was a different half altogether for them. It, it was really an opportunity that probably the Roosters could have gone on with it pretty much the same mm. way as the, uh, as the Eels did today. But uh, they managed to, to reel things back in in the second half. So yeah. I'm sure they'll be drawing on that for the next week. We'll get into them in more detail in a moment, but for now, let's talk about what was probably the match of the round, certainly from a, a contest point of view, the Storm and the Raiders. Um, Raiders got them down there only a few weeks ago. I thought it would be a different story this time. I thought there's no way the Storm are going to get ambushed on their, their home patch again, and it sort of looked they were, like they were clawing their way to a win, and then uh, Canberra right at the end just uh, found a way. Yeah, this one was an absolute bashathon. Uh, I yep. really enjoyed this game. It was super, super physical, both teams showing their intent. And I have to say, the Melbourne Storm started off a bit slow, and the Canberra Raiders certainly set the tempo. They thoroughly deserved to be going in leading at half time. They were physical, they bashed them, and they absolutely dominated Melbourne. Um, in saying that, the second half, Melbourne turned everything on its head. I thought Melbourne were actually the dominant team in the second half. Um, uh, Nelson Asifa Solomona, his performance coming out after halftime. I don't know what Craig Be- Bellamy said, um, <laughs> but him coming out, he I think he single-handedly turned the game for the Melbourne Storm. But there's something about Craig Bellamy, what he he does to his team in, at halftime, or what he says to his team, because he must be able just to be able to connect with each and every player in the change room, because they can really shift their mindset uh, in the space of. 10 or 15 minutes when they're, on, uh, when they're having a break. Um, I thought they were unlucky to, uh, to not get that, uh, claw that win back in, but um, uh, full credit to the Canberra Raiders. They thoroughly deserved it because they, they were super, super physical. And I think them, the way that they play, if they had lost that game, I would have put a line through them for the grand final because I, I couldn't see them playing like that week in, week out. But the fact that they get a week off now, they get to recover, they get to be refreshed, and then they're just going to come out and do it again in the next game. I, I, I honestly think that they're a, they're a big chance of being in the grand final. Can I um can I chuck an idea to you guys? Let me know what you think. So the beginning of that game, uh, Melbourne didn't really quite have it together the way Melbourne normally normally did, and and Canberra got a um, got a got to a six 0 lead. I think that perhaps the uh, Joey Leilua fireworks in the eye 
kickoff, <laughs> delay to kickoff actually worked in Canberra's favour and probably just shook Melbourne off a little bit because it's sort of like the delay tactics that, they, that, they, that teams used to be allowed to use in State of Origin where you wouldn't come out, you'd make them wait on field for two minutes or whatever. But um, I think just going out ready for kickoff and then it was delayed and not really know what was going on and I think they probably they would have come out all hyped up with lots of energy and then just to have that sort of taken away from you, I think <laughs> I, like, I'm, I'm, I think that might have had something to do with it. Uh, perhaps, perhaps, but I guess... Uh, Potentially. All right, that's uh, code for <laughs> wrong. <laughs> you guys are so nice. <laughs> yeah. What I will say uh, is that I reckon about once a year or twice a year, something completely crazy will happen, and I'll say, I've never seen that in rugby league before, and now I've seen everything. Well... <laughs> Player missing the start of the game because he got fireworks in his eye. Now I must have seen it all because yeah. that's just not something I saw coming. Um, but yeah, rugby league still can't top that. That was incredible. Yeah, but I, I guess look from Mel, um, Craig Bellamy's point of view, um, the Storm have been guilty of missing the start of the game and having to yep. claw, claw teams back, and and they've had it. They've they've done that a number of times this year, unless they address that. Soon, um, I think uh, I think they're going to struggle. But it's not really a problem for them because usually Melbourne will get to they'll get to a six point deficit and then eventually they'll strangle the game and and they'll win. You'd, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's panic stations for Melbourne because they really lost this game out of kind of bad luck. Like the the Bateman winning try was from a, a freak sort of ball ball popping out from Josh had a car and normally in that situation somebody somewhere would have knocked it on and just they just didn't happen that time and then the um the controversial call from the short kickoff where you know had that gone the other way and they had possession on their 30 you'd think that they the result of the game could have gone um another way yeah I mean they scored one try in 79 minutes I think they were going to suddenly score another one in the last minute with a, a set from just inside Canberra's half I mean It'd be hard-pressed to argue there any kind of likelihood of getting it. But, I mean, it, it did, you know, it was a mistake and it did cost them a, an attacking set with a chance to steal a win. But um, Canberra defended pretty well at that point as well. Yeah, yeah. The, the Raiders defended very, very well and they managed to keep them to nil for, for quite a long time. But if you're thinking the long game, you're thinking probably Raiders and the Roosters. The Roosters can get off to a very, very fast start and are very hard to reel back in and... Um, Put if they ever come up against uh, Canberra again, then um, yeah, I don't think they can afford to do that. Well, what it does do is it puts um, Melbourne and Roosters on the same side of the draw, so it's now you know any chance of a grand final repeat is is out the window because um, the winner of Melbourne versus Parramatta travels to Sydney to face the Roosters. So um, if Storm play the Roosters, it's going to be for a spot in the grand final, not in the grand final, which. Uh, certainly helps Canberra and potentially the winner of, of South Manly, but um, it does give us a, a guarantee of a different grand final combination to what we had last year. Yeah, absolutely. It, it definitely helps that other side of the table because, uh, needless to say, if the Roosters get there and come up against... Uh, no, if the Storm get there and come up against the Roosters in a fortnight's time, that is going to be an epic battle of grand final, grand final proportions in itself. So yeah. um, it's a total bonus to all league fans. You get yeah. you get the grand final rematch with high stakes. Plus, you get a different grand final. It's it's coming together perfectly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anyway, uh, Saturday football kicked off with the Roosters women up against the Warriors women. I think most of us probably would have thought the um, the Roosters should have been favourites, but I thought it was a very impressive performance by uh, by the Warriors. Yeah, I thought it was awesome. And what I really like about this is. The Warriors, um, they've publicly, they've come out and said, 
uh, we're much better prepared this year. Like we know what we're in for now. We know what a, a full season takes. We know how what we need to work on fitness wise. Um, and I think they came out and showed it. Like I was really, really impressed. They sort of um, they came out of the blocks really fast. Um, I don't know whether the Roosters um, underestimated them or not, but uh, it was like what better way to kick off your season than with a, a win first up um, against last year's grand finalists. I thought that they played really well. On that note, there is. I have to say one thing about the the women's footy. It's the standard has improved so much just in the space mm. of a year. Um, I'm watching them play, and I can see that they know where they need to be on the field. They know defensive structure structures. They know their game plans, and the skill levels improved as well. The defence, mm. the way that they tackle, the way they get numbers into the tackle, the way that they move the ball, the way they can pass and kick. Um, it's certainly going from strength to strength. I know that these girls work very, very hard. Sometimes they probably work a lot harder than the men in, the, in terms of the number of games that they play, plus they all have to hold down full-time jobs as well. So mm. full credit to them and full credit to, uh, to all the coaches as well that put a lot of time and effort into them as well. Yeah, even something like um, the goal kicking. I know Chelsea Baker missed a couple from out wide today, but I think um, you know even five years ago, unless the goal, you know, the, the conversion was from in front, you'd almost write it off. And now they're you know they're sniping them from everywhere. So that's just one example of the skills that has really elevated in the last few years. Um, just on this game, the um, wanted to give special credit to uh, well, first of all, the uh, the skipper Georgia Hale, um, traditionally a, a half or more of a five eight playing at lock. So I guess a bit of the um, Brad Fittler, Laurie Daly style, you know, playmaker gone into a, a roving thirteen role. I thought she was fantastic. But the young number seven, Shante Porco, who I did not know a lot about, comes from I think a rugby sevens background. I thought she was magnificent. Had some fantastic skills on display. There's a little chip and chase in there. Some really nice kicks. So um, you know, I, I guess a hidden gem. Not a, a big name star yet, but one to watch for the. Uh, for the Warriors. Yeah, I think um, these NRLW games are, yeah, they're getting better and better. Um, and I think next week is when we have the two standalones. Is that correct? Um, well, I won't wait for correction on that, but uh, one of them is going to be at Leichhardt Oval, so I'll definitely be there. Um, yeah, loving it. Yep, and um, play of the game, I thought, actually went to the Roosters 5-8. Kira Dib with a, a stunning try-saving tackle. Uh, didn't end up getting her team the win, but it was a, a beautiful piece of, uh, of defence there. So um, just another example of the, the skills that are improving um, very, very rapidly as the, uh, as the sport develops. Um, which brings us back into Friday night, which feels like a long time ago already, but uh, Roosters and Rabbitohs was um, on track for a cricket score at the cricket ground, but, um, you know, Roosters kind of went a tiny bit off the ball in the second half and Rabbitohs fought back and ended up, I think they won the second half 6-4, although it was probably small consolation by that point. Yeah, I think uh, I think the Rabbitohs were they were kind of, between, kind of between a rock and a hard place, given the fact that they won the week before, and I think they went out to try and just play the same same way and the same game game plan that they played the week before, and that was never going to work against the Roosters. The Roosters completely dominated that game, turned up the heat, turned up the tempo, played really fast, and it seemed to me that the Rabbitohs were just a step behind for most of the game. They really struggled to to get any momentum or even keep up with the play, particularly in the first half. The thing that I was disappointed with with the Rabbitohs was their line speed, and I think that was that's where Sammy Burgess will make the biggest difference. I was really noticing that when they were coming off the line, they were probably pulling up uh, half a metre short and then waiting for the, the attacking player to come into them. And what that does is it gives the attacking player an opportunity to weave between 
between defenders, try and find their fronts and get up and have a quick play of the ball, which they did pretty much most of the first half. Whereas if you had a, a Sammy Burgess or someone just taking the line speed all the way through to the collision, it creates a different level of momentum uh, for the attacking team. If anything, it slows it down, which which allows the defence to get back on side. So I was very, very disappointed with the Rabbitohs and their defence, but uh, the saving grace is that they managed to pull things back in the second half, points-wise. Yeah, Sam Burgess make a big difference to them next week. I think, um, you know, that, that left edge of uh, James Roberts and Adam Dewey um, was caught out badly by Joey Marner, who was absolutely immense. Wayne Bennett admitted after the match he probably shouldn't have put Dewey on the wing. He said he's done so well playing in the halves, playing at fullback, playing where he's needed to play that he thought he uh, would handle it. But, um, he yeah, was caught out of position a little bit. James Roberts was... Um, you know, it certainly wasn't one for, for his own personal highlight reels. And um, not just Joey Manu, but, you know, Tedesco and Kronk chiming in on that edge. Um, Roosters just tore him apart in that channel early on. What about that um, that second Roosters try? That's... Uh, that was probably one of the greatest tries like I've, I can that I can remember. It just worked. It was so fast. I had to sort of watch it back on replay to realise what had just happened. But it was just so slick. The way, like, the, the direction of play was was changed. And then everyone was lined up, knew exactly where they had to be. The passes were so quick and so slick. It was it was beautiful. I'm no Roosters mm. fan, but, wow, that was uh, that was spectacular to watch. Yep, they were yeah, looking, I was the same. They, they were, to watch it a few times just to work out which players had done yeah. the passing and which players were the decoys and who actually ended up doing what in, in the play. Yeah, yeah they, were looking, they were looking very sharp, executing very well, but uh, overall they just controlled the pace of the game uh, the whole way through. So uh, that's definitely one of their strengths. And in, uh, in, in regards to the Rabbitohs, they, they've got a bit of work to do. Um Particularly coming up against uh, up against Manly next week, but look, one of their strengths is once they start to throw the ball around, uh, once they start to try and attack in a in a more creative manner, they're probably one of the best teams to be able to do that. And I think that could be a troubling thing for for Manly because Manly, well. Cronulla didn't really throw anything at them at all and, 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 and Manly will make their tackles. They'll come up, they'll be physical, they won't be out of position. Um, you, need to, you need to throw some real attack at them and I think the Rabbitohs can do that. Absolutely, and they potentially get some troops back. Sam Burgess, like we mentioned, Dane Gagai might be a chance. They could probably use him in the, the back line. You'd think they'd be a, a better proposition uh, against uh, Manly than what they showed against the Roosters on um, Friday night. Just throwing ahead to uh, to next week. So the games are locked in now. We've got Friday night at ANZ, 7.50pm is the, the Rabbitohs and Manly. Uh, following night, same time, 7.50pm down at Amy Park, the storm up against the Eels. Um, that game on Saturday has the NRLW, the Broncos and the Roosters um, as a doubleheader. So that kicks off around... 5 p.m. and I think there's a um, Kenny. You might have been touching on the um, the standalone. Yeah, it's at Mount around. Smart. Yes. Yep. Correct. That's the uh, the Warriors and the Dragons on Sunday. Um, and then uh, the following week's schedule is also locked in. So for the NRLW, that's Brisbane and the Warriors at the SCG on uh, on Saturday at 5 p.m. Then the Dragons and the Roosters. That's the standalone again, Leichhardt over 1:15 p.m. Um, and the fixes are actually locked in for the men's, even though the second team isn't necessarily locked in. So two weeks down the track, the Friday night will be in Canberra. They will host the winner of the Rabbitohs Manly game. And uh, the Saturday night at the SCG, the Roosters will host the winner of Storm v Eels. So plenty of good footage to look forward to in the next few weeks. 
That's, uh, I guess we can, we're can. we looking at a, a close to a sellout for GIO Stadium in Canberra on that Friday night. That's going to be some. Uh, that, it's going to be pretty tough. We're that's going to be huge. Down there. Yeah. yeah. All right, any final thoughts before we wrap this um, baby up? Are there, I've actually I've got a question that I'd like to ask uh, our, uh, our superstar co-hosts. I've always wanted to ask. So Friday night when, uh, when it was Roosters-Rabbitohs, yeah. being a legend of both teams... Yeah. When these things happen, like, do you do you sort of flip flop about about which team you'd prefer to win, or do you just want to see some good oh, football no. and hope sport, hope rugby league's a winner on the day, or do you? No, it's actually you know. changed over the last couple of years. Before, I used to just be going for the underdog going into the into the game, but uh, now the teams are so evenly matched, it's it's more a case of who I'm tipping. So I'm looking mm. at the form and I'm thinking, who am I tipping? Uh, and f- well, the week before, I was actually tipping the Rabbitohs and they won, but I was thinking for this game, I couldn't see the Roosters losing to the same team two weeks in a row. Mm. So I was tipping the Roosters. I didn't expect to expect them to blow them away like they did. But I have to be perfectly honest, I was sitting amongst a lot of Roosters people and um, and when the, when the Roosters got two tries up, I found myself cheering for the Rabbitohs. Come <laughs> yeah. on, boys, get on side. <laughs> and all the Roosters people were looking at me, giving me filthies, going, are you going for the Roosters? And I said, I'm honestly going for the Roosters, but uh, I just don't want to see the Rabbitohs get pumped. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought, surprisingly in that game, the South fans, I mean, I guess when, you get, when you're like 24-0 at halftime or whatever, your fans are going to be pretty quiet. But the, the Roosters fans were loud and obvious. And the South fans, who are known for being loud, intense yeah. fans just didn't seem to have the same presence in the stadium. Uh, uh, actually, the, one of the things that makes me feel a bit un- uncomfortable is when I'm sitting there and you see the Roosters fans giving it to the South fans or you see the South fans giving it to the Roosters fans, I get, I got to say, I get a little bit itchy because yeah. <laughs> they, they look to me and think, okay, so which side are you yeah, on? I'm like, sort of, leave quietly me out back out the door. <laughs> Don't drag me into this one. Uh, it's all good for right, the games. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. Well, uh, thank you once again, gentlemen, for joining us on the Sunday session. And I can't wait to do it again next week. Beautiful. See you then. See ya.